That was great. Well, this past week, we've been in the second week of our devotional study, Giving That Pleases God. The title of the week or the topic for the week was called The Meaning of Stewardship. And there were six topics that were talked about. We are stewards and not owners. We are stewards of our time, stewards of our talents, stewards of our treasure, stewards of our testimony, and stewards of God's word and truth. And there was one section of scripture that was mentioned twice in this week's devotionals. It's from Luke 19, verses 9 to 27. And I'm going to be speaking on that passage this morning as we, the title of the message is Faithful to the King. Faithful to the King. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then came another saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, who did not want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. Again, the message this morning is entitled, Faithful to the King. In this passage, Luke nineteen eleven to 27, Yeshua tells a very familiar parable. And for that reason, I kind of hesitate when you talk about something familiar because people tend not to listen. Have you ever noticed that? They think, I already know all about that. 
Well, I've learned from experience that what is said is not always what is heard. And that also can be a big problem. So let me give you this illustration. There is an amazing true story about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It seems that he was often bored by those long receiving lines at the White House. And he was convinced that people really didn't listen to what was said when they went through the line. So on one occasion, he decided to see if people were really listening to what he said. And as people went by, he said the same thing to each one of them. He smiled graciously, shook their hand, and then said in a very kind way, I murdered my grandmother this morning. (laughs) Amazingly, he received responses like, that's wonderful, Mr. President. Keep up the good work, Mr. President. We're praying for you, Mr. President. Finally, the Bolivian ambassador came by and actually did listen to what FDR said. I murdered my grandmother this morning. For a moment, the ambassador was taken aback. He stood there, blinking his eyes, and then responded, Well, she must have had it coming. (laughs) So sometimes people really do listen. And I hope that you'll join me this morning in considering again this parable of the ten minus found in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now, please don't get this parable confused with the parable of the talents, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. There are a lot of similarities between the two parables, parables, but there are also some real differences. Now, I'm not going to read the parable again in its entirety because that would take too long, but please keep your Bibles open or your smartphones on to this parable in Luke 19 because I'm going to be referring to it often. Verse 11 begins with these words. Now, as they heard these things, we must remember that Yeshua had just been discussing with his disciples what had happened at the house of Zacchaeus. They had heard Yeshua say to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation has come to this house. Luke 19, verse 9. They also heard Yeshua say this, quote, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10. And as they were listening, Yeshua shifts gears and then begins to tell them this parable. Now, there are two reasons given in verses 11 for the telling of this parable. And they indicate that Yeshua is teaching a very important lesson here. First of all, in verse 11, Luke says that Yeshua told the parable, quote, because he was near Jerusalem because he was near Jerusalem. Yeshua knew, rather, that as soon as he entered Jerusalem, all the frenzied events of the last week of his earthly life would begin. And so before that happened, he took this last opportunity to teach them a very important lesson. Verse 11 also says that Yeshua told them this parable because, quote, the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he tells this parable, and he tells it to teach them about the kingdom of God. And it's clear that in this parable, the king represents Yeshua himself. First of all, Yeshua teaches that the kingdom of God is not coming right now. There are several things that must happen first. 
You see, the apostles were convinced that once they entered Jerusalem, that the wonderful kingdom that they had been dreaming about, the wonderful kingdom that they had been praying for, would in fact become reality. They were sure that this would happen. They had been following the master for three years. They'd seen him perform miracles. They had seen demons yield to him. Diseases were cured. People, hungry people, were fed. And the dead were literally raised from the grave. They were convinced that he could do anything that he wanted to do. And so, it was natural for them to think that now their kingdom would begin and Yeshua would be king. But Messiah says, quote, don't expect a coronation. By the way, this is my quote, because that's not going to happen. Instead, get ready for rejection. There will be a crucifixion instead of a coronation. And finally, and most importantly of all, Yeshua wants them to know what they are to do while he, the king, is gone and before he comes back. And he's speaking to us today. And so with that in mind, let's look at that parable. Verses 12 and 13. And I had it over here and just covered it up. Verses 12 and 13. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Do business till I come. Now this is where the parable of the minas or minas is very different from the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, which is in the book of Matthew, Yeshua said to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent according to his ability. Matthew 25, verse 15. And we look at the parable of the talents and said, well, that points out that we're all different. We have different gifts and different talents. But in this parable, in the parable of the minas, everybody received the same thing. Each servant received one mina, which equals, by the way, about three months' wages. And Yeshua emphasizes that each servant received exactly the same thing. So what's he saying here? What is Yeshua teaching us? What does the minor represent? It's obviously not the same thing as the talents in the parable of the talents in Matthew. What, it, what is it that we all have that is exactly the same? What is it that we all have that's exactly the same? How are we all similar? There are a lot of areas where we're different, but how are we all the same? And so we go through a process of elimination, checking off all the ways where we're not alike, until finally we eliminate almost everything. But there is one way, one way, we are all the same. We have all received the gift of life. We didn't earn it. God just gave it to us. We'll not all live the same length of time. We don't all have the same talents, but we all have our lives as a gift from God. And I suggest that Yeshua is saying 
Take this gift and use it wisely. Invest the life I have given to you. Put it to work until I come again. And in this parable, Yeshua tells three ways of investing our life, three different attitudes toward the life we have been given. The first one is found in verse 14, and it says this, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us, to be our king. We don't want you to be our king. The first attitude is, we don't want Yeshua to be our ruler. We don't want him interfering in our lives. We're doing just fine. Thank you very much the way we are. So leave us alone. Let us live the way we want to live. We don't need him and we don't want him. Michael Brown wrote this in Charisma Magazine, quote, I believe there's a common thread that unites the new atheism, the radical left, and the gay activist revolution. It is the philosophy that says, quote, we will not have God and his son rule over us. We will not have God and his son rule over us. And if you look at the agenda of those who are against our believing faith today, it basically runs on two lines of, 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 of two avenues of objection. Number one, they don't believe in the sanctity of life and they don't believe in the sanctity of marriage. And everything flows from that because God gave us life and created life and God was the one who instituted marriage. Liberal philosopher Richard Rorty was even more direct telling parents of college students that as professors, quote, we are going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your rebellious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than than, than discussable. Sadly, enemies of Yeshua today remind us of Psalm 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. You see, by rejecting the king, they hope to escape responsibility for how they live. They may think they're escaping responsibility, but they will never escape their punishment. They didn't want Yeshua as their king now, And then, rather, and many people don't want Yeshua to be their king now. So, yes, there are people who take the gift of life from God and say, we'll take care of ourselves. We don't want any advice, so leave us alone. They don't want the king. Therefore, they will not be part of the kingdom. Then there's a second group who say, I was afraid of you, so I didn't even try. Skip down to verse 20 where Yeshua describes this other attitude of life. I'll be reading verses 20 and 21. Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Can you imagine taking your car into a repair shop and then coming back a few weeks later 
only to find that it's still sitting in the corner of the shop with cobwebs hanging from it. And the shop worker tells you, oh yes, it's right here, I haven't touched it. You can have it back just like it was. He hadn't done a thing to it. Or how about the man who bought a gift for someone he loved very much? He worked hard for the money to pay for it. Spent a lot of time choosing just the right gift. Then he fought the crowds to get it. He wrapped it himself, even put a pretty bow on it, and sent it by express mail to the one he loved. But sometime later, he visited this one he loved and saw his package lying on the floor, over in the corner, unopened. How do you suppose he felt? Well, imagine how God must feel when we carelessly treat his gift to us. And so in this parable, Yeshua tells us in verses 22 and 23, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Can you hear the hurt in his heart? Notice what Yeshua called him. He called him a wicked servant. And as we look at this man, in a way we begin to feel sorry for him. I mean, what did he do wrong? He didn't embezzle the money. He wasn't dishonest. Here's what he did wrong. He didn't do what his master told him to do. He didn't put the money to work. He didn't invest it in anything worthwhile. He just didn't do anything with what his master had given him. And his excuse? I was afraid. Then Yeshua says, if you were really afraid of me, then why didn't you do what I told you to do? It almost seems as if Yeshua is saying, you say out of one side of your mouth, I took you seriously. But your actions say, I'm not really afraid enough to make me do what you say. I'm going to ignore your instructions. But God is not going to let us get away with that, dear ones. Like the king in this parable, God has given each one of us the gift of life. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, quote, We are God's workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has made you to fulfill his purpose through your life. And the question is, do you trust him? Do you want his kingdom to grow? And are you willing to be faithful in using what God has entrusted to you? The third attitude is this. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what you want me to do. Verses 16 to 19. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minus. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Evidently, they had no reason to expect a reward the king had not said, take my mind and put it to work, and when I come back, I'll pay you a percentage of the profit. 
No, he simply told him, put this money to work until I come back. Luke 19, 13. So they invested the money and they worked, not expecting a reward. They invested because they were faithful to the king. And that's what's important, isn't it? You know, there are people today who say, I want to be a believer, but the reason is because they expect favors from Yeshua. They expect him to make sure that their life is trouble-free. But these men invested simply because they were... But these men invested simply because they were faithful to their king. Dear ones, God is looking for people like that. So when he came back and found what they had done, he rewarded them for their faithfulness. One stormy night, an elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel and asked for a room. The clerk said they were filled, as were all the hotels in town. But I can't send a fine couple like you out in the rain, he said. Would you be willing to sleep in my room? The couple hesitated, but the clerk insisted. The next morning, when the man paid his bill, he said, quote, You're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in the United States. Someday I'll build you one to manage. And the clerk smiled politely. Several years later, the clerk received a letter from the elderly man recalling that stormy night and asking him to come to New York. A round-trip ticket was enclosed, and when the clerk arrived, his host took him to the corner of Fifth Avenue and 34th Street, where stood a magnificent new building. That, explained the man, is the hotel I have built for you to manage. The man was William Waldorf Astor, and that hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria. The young clerk, George C. Bolt, became its first manager. Never downplay the importance of what you're doing for the Lord. He sees it all. The reward for diligent service in small things is the opportunity for even greater service for our God and King, either now or in eternity. My dear brothers and sisters, we do what we do and we sacrifice what we sacrifice not to gain any favors from God, but simply to be faithful to God. So as you think and pray about your sacrificial offering and your pledge for our building fund, don't do it expecting a reward. Do it because we want to be faithful and to build a house of prayer for all nations. That's our theme for this capital campaign. And it's also our desire. Let's be faithful, dear ones, to the one who is faithful to us. And let us all say together, Amen. Charlie. Up there, what was up there? I'll do the original one. Hallelujah. 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 The Lord bless you. And keep you. 
the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. And be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up. His countenance upon you and give you peace. Yivarechacharanai vayishmurecha Yairanai panavalecha vichuneka Yisahadonai panavalecha veyasem lecha Amen. Go in God's grace. Shabbat shalom.